Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 9 of our podcast. It's been a while, we are here at Fuse Room in the lounge, we just had coffee, and there's Valeria here who wants to say hi. Hi everyone. Hello. So she's translating, working as usual, we're doing nothing as usual, so we're gonna go to the control room, let me close my door, and it's a pretty heavy door, and let me walk to the producer chair, which is the Chesterfield um, chair in the far corner, if you've been here at Fuse Room in the past, uh, you know which chair I'm talking about. So, it's been a while, this is episode number 9, and, um, well, we had, I don't know how many weeks, but there was Christmas, there were the holidays, New Year's Eve, and all that stuff, and um, I want to talk to you about a, a question or like a chat that I had with uh, a friend over the internet. Um, this is a guy who uh, moved from New York to actually South Carolina. And he had um, a recording studio there, a small home studio. And he would work for some pro audio companies as well, I think. And he... Uh, I think what he also done, he's also done, I think uh, he was involved in probably some assistant job as an engineer. He has a really great voice. He was also a singer. But his question when we uh, Skyped was, um, it wasn't actually a question. He started out saying he's great there. He likes the place a lot. And he was complaining about the fact that when he was in New York, the pressure was really high. And part of that was because of the clients that he had or the people he worked with. So we got into a talk about the indie artists and the sort of commercial label or major artists. And we got into that talk, which I will use a little bit to talk about today's, uh, this episode's topic. But I just, you know, put that there, had a nice chat. I think it was after Christmas or something. And um, we were talking about plugins that I'm beta testing. So that was the main reason. But then we ended up, you know, with the usual small talk, not small talk. Like, how are you doing? You know, how is your life and stuff? We had lost each other for, I think, probably around a year or so. So we had a lot to catch up. At that point, in January and February, Fuse Room worked and still working on projects that are uh, Sony BMG based. So there's going to be some huge stuff coming out. There's um, singers, there's artists coming here, there's A&R, producers, emails. It's been really busy and really hectic. But at the same time, I had some indie artists, some new people especially that I had not met, that I had the chance to work with in January especially. Uh, I had to cancel some of the gigs, some of you know, because of this Sony stuff that's taking a lot of time and it just came to me that the great the greatest start that I could have for this new um, podcast episode was to talk about this exact thing uh, it just that what we talked with this friend of mine just came back to me and I was like this is gonna be a very very cool topic for I think both artists and sound engineers and people that own a recording studio or they have a home studio it's it's a topic that I get into oftentimes, not because of, you know, me talking about it, but because of friends bringing it up or colleagues, I would say, which are usually always friends as well. Um, they bring it up and we get back into one of, I would say, my favorites because it's really expressing how modern times are. So we're going to talk about, I, I kind of thought about what a cool name could be for this. And I said, like, what's wrong with indie artists? today and why they keep failing which is obviously you know just sarcastic way of putting it some people might not like the title it's 
it's just provocative in a way. So there's nothing wrong with most indie artists today, or I would rather say there's nothing wronger or more wrong in recent years with artists com artists compared to what was wrong years and years ago. It's just the dynamics of music production changed. So what's so different about working with a major label and a production there uh, from the artistic point of view, from the workflow, from how a, a sound engineer in a recording studio or in a mixing studio environment feels about working there and why I don't hear as much complaining in the major labels department as much as I hear instead in the indie department. So in theory, an indie artist would be easier to work with, would be somebody that has you know, less ties, that is more focused on his own work or his own stuff. And it's just him usually, right? While with commercial labels, with major labels, you have producers, you have A&Rs, so you have the artists, the sidekick, the makeup, the people that you have to ask permission to um, if you want to take a picture in studio or not, all that stuff. And there's payments involved that are usually under contract or obligation so it's not like people come in with cash or they wire transfer the money you know right after the job is done there's a schedule to respect there's a workflow for billing there's sometimes months to wait and for some labels it gets in the order of 90 days 60 days plus 90 plus 45 plus two more weeks plus sorry we forgot so it, there's a lot of issues there, right? And there's a lot more people. So why is it that I hear few complaints from the label environment, uh, major labels especially, uh, rather than, you know, I, I, all I hear, I, I hear from the indie world. Uh, maybe is it because of a scare factor? So people working with major labels and stuff, they, they don't want to complain, they don't want to lose their jobs, they like the money they're doing, might be boring, might be not that super cool, but they like what they do and they still want to do it. Uh, the indie people, they do it on spec or for free or for few money, you know, so they just have room to complain. It could be that. But let's suppose it's not because of a scare factor. So what I heard, and this is part of the chat that I had with this friend of mine, was that he has worked with um, major labels as an assistant in studios in Brooklyn. And I don't know if Manhattan as well, but I will say New York. I don't remember if he's actually born in New York, but he worked there for quite a while. So he said, I've been there. I've worked, I've seen, you know, the workflow. There's been some tense moments, but most of that was pretty much point A to point B. The record is done, gone. Now we wait for payment. Then we do something more. We're happy. We have to wait to post pictures. The NDA says we can't talk about it until it's out, blah, 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 all that stuff. But it's done. And he said, when I would work in my home studio or in the same studio I would work with as an assistant, hire the room, get in the same beautiful environment and work with indie artists, hell would break loose. And we talked a lot about 
stuff that I'm going to cover, I have to admit, I wrote down a little bit of a roadmap because it's easy to get lost in this topic, but it, especially because it's a topic I love. So I'm going to leave you with that question. Why is this happening? Why does this happen? So I want this podcast to be useful to both artists and sound engineers or professionals that get hired by the artists for a recording, for a mixing, for a mastering, for arranging, I don't know, composing, sound design, you know, but from my point of view, obviously could be recording or mixing or mastering. So let's talk about the first point that I wrote, which is a little background about me and how I approached my own records. So first off, I think it's fair that you understand how I approached my, you know, angle as an artist when I was the closest to an artist that I've ever been, because I don't call myself an artist. I'm not somebody that, you know, writes song uh, just because he has something to say. I did write some original material. I liked what I did. I had two very small, you know, debut EPs that I wrote. And it was 1999 when I did the first. So I was barely 18 years old and I had written something completely by myself on a keyboard workstation. And I had tried to mix that thing and to make it sound good. The arranging, I had no questions about how it had to be done. I kind of felt that the record was done, but it just wouldn't sound at its best. I tried, I tried, I think two times or thrice, something like that, but it would just not work. So I decided to ask my parents at the time I wasn't working, was still university and actually last year of high school into university. They give me some money once I find a good studio and they say, okay, you know, we give you that amount of money if you go there and, and mix it. So we decide, I, I ask this sound engineer, he listens to that. This sound engineer actually became a good friend of mine and it's one of the people I learned the most without knowing I would become, you know, part of sound engineering business in the world. Uh, this was completely, no, I was a keyboards player, piano player. So I bring him these songs and I say, I would love for these songs to be mastered because they don't sound really good. So here, here, that's the first step. I get into the studio. It's a recording slash mixing studio. And I say, uh, I would love these songs to get a mastering process, not a mixing process, a mastering process, because the mix I've done does not sound really good to me. So I would like it to be mastered so that it sounds great. The engineer says, you know, I could master these songs and make them a little bit better, but there's things I hear in the mix that could be improved. And to improve them, we have to mix. We don't have to master. So I say, okay, it's going to be more expensive. He says, yes, it is going to be more expensive, but we can work better on the things that need improving. And then the mastering process can be lighter and stuff. So I accept and we start mixing. The sessions are all attended. Uh, I also brought my own Power Mac at the time because of the plugins I had installed about the audio card I had. So I would bring my own Power Mac. We would plug it in. There were, I think, Motu cards, uh, add-ups and stuff. And they had a Neve console there. So we hook it all up. I couldn't care less about the process. I didn't know what compressors were or equalizers were. So no wonder why my record wouldn't sound that great. I had no idea about equalizers, compressors, gates, anything. I knew about virtual instruments. I knew about 
keyboards i knew about hopefully music harmony all this stuff but i had no idea about uh, any mixing process related you know gear or plugin or stuff so we mixed it in hybrid analog desk um effects outboard stuff compressors and digital we also used some steinberg some Mosu plugins some waves at the time lots of waves and you know we just went through the thing i want to focus on is how did i approach that thing so i was completely unaware of anything that i would do and i remember there was nothing that i would um used to cause a stop or a halt in the process of this guy i remember that i he mixed it and i was like i like what i hear if we would put a delay it would go like alberto do you like this delay i don't remember me saying oh no no please 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 this delay i despise you this does not have to be delayed and stuff i mean he was very calm and very easy definitely not probably what you know i'm a little more flamboyant than he is but i remember he was a very you know quiet person very kind he would be like do you like this and i would be like yes and i was surprised that sometimes he would pick things that would just sound make you know my tracks sound better like a lead keyboard sound he would put a little bit of delay it's for some people very you know easy stuff very simple stuff or like simple tricks right something you would do on every mix but for me i was completely unaware of everything i was be like this is perfect he he can sort of read my mind of how i would like this bear in mind it was instrumental progressive rock written by a 17 year old guy so it's not like we're making the fifth record of a genre that has been so exploited that people know it's something very very cerebral weird all instrumental done with the keyboard so the guy i doubt that he would have any experience with that to a point where he would go in autopilot all right so i never complained about anything he did ever i liked the process i felt great to be there to hear how things would get shaped and i can't say that i in that moment i could even think that i would complain while he would do stuff now i'm thinking in retrospect back at those times and i'm like okay now i can rationally see that i was not opposing anything he would do i still listen to the record occasionally i mean it's not that i listen to my old very old stuff for fun but i like what he did and i wouldn't change anything so i wouldn't complain at the time and i wouldn't even realize i was not complaining i don't know if i'm getting this through right at the time i was not complaining but i had not no consciousness of the fact that i wasn't complaining i was in the vibe of how he was doing things it's now going back to it that i realize oh i didn't even complain i liked everything he did something like that all right so this is very important because i then grew up to be a sound engineer for how life threw stuff at me and this is how i was this is the kind of person i was when i faced music production from an artist's standpoint so i had done something for over a year composed it it was my project it was everything i had done i had attempted to mix it does it sound you know does it ring a bell does it sound familiar 
it is very familiar, right? Either you or somebody else that you know that is not listening right now is a person that you could relate to with this story. It happened to everybody. But what I remember doing was the guy mixed it. We took around two weeks. It was nine songs. We stayed together. We did it. I didn't, I went home. I didn't go home and, and listen to it from an inquisitive point of view. I would listen to those songs in my uh, headphones and on in my home studio. And I would be very happy. And I would go there and... I didn't even think that they would sound different in my home studio compared to the recording studio. I knew they would sound different, right? I had different speakers. Mine was a bedroom. I wasn't a professional. He was a professional. The studio was worth and 2 million lire, Italian lire, so I would say around, a, you know, how much is it? A million euro. It's, it's expensive. It's expensive stuff. And it was done in the old way, very nice. It wasn't a super famous studio. It wasn't a super famous sound engineer. It wasn't something or somebody that I was completely under the spell of to annihilate my criticism. Absolutely not. This was, I don't mean it to be offensive, but he was a nobody guy to me. I just liked how he approached and I just liked how the room looked. Does it sound familiar? This is pretty familiar, right? This is something that you experienced as a studio owner or as an artist going into somebody's else studio. So the record came out. It was really fun to do. I learned a lot. I moved on. I made another record. I made original music for a lot of people as a paid job. I made original music for my own bands. I mean, you know how it started. If you don't know, this is not part of the thing. So 17 minutes, almost 18, to tell you the introduction plus my background, which I think it's super important, super. Because now you know who I am coming from that perspective, going back into what I'm going to say. I hope this gives you, doesn't give me the right to say what I want. I mean, I can say what I want, as long as it's not offensive, you know, from an explicit, you know, speech point of view, um, but otherwise it will get censored. But I can say whatever, whatever I want, it's going to be my opinion. But now you know why my opinion is colored that way, and you know how I was when I was, you know, at a younger stage. Uh, coming from that, this guy is now me, and I'm now like twice as old. I was 17, I'm now 37, so, you know, you do the math, is you know, pretty much twice as old. So, 18 years have passed, almost, and let's see how I see this. Why do people complain more in the indie industry than in the commercial major label kind of stuff? It's true, it's true. I see that issue a lot, and... There's some points that I would like to talk to try and make both artists and sound engineer better, but it's an ongoing discussion. I would I would hope for this to spark even more discussion because the only way we can solve this, there's no way we can solve this. But if we improve on that, maybe some people will feel better, and, you know, about it, and things will work will work better out compared to how they go now. So the problem with indie artists with the same thing that happened to me is that you are on your own. As an independent artist, you write your own song, probably, that start from the very basic, and you produce your own song, and you cover 
more roles than you would in a commercial major label environment. Those environments split and divide all the tasks between multiple people. You might have one guy that books studios plus takes care of the artists having the cigarettes and whiskey they want, but the, the things usually don't overlap. And there's somebody, you know, fixing the artist's hair. There's another guy recording. There's another guy doing the cuts. There's another guy doing the mixing, another guy doing the mastering. There's a team of people that help the artist arrange, if necessary. There's bands, there's contracts, there's a lot of people there. These people are usually trained, especially if they're underpaid, they're very good. <laughs> usually when they're overpaid, they might be just somebody who was put in charge there and you don't know. But even if he doesn't know a thing, he's still the guy in command. He says how things have to be done. The other guys who keep working in those environments know it, the workflow is professional. You say you don't want delay on his voice because it doesn't have to sound 70s or whatever. The engineer does not put that. They might have a talk with the artist, but they don't do that. The artist himself is also very fine with that. Why is he fine? Maybe he has the money down. He knows he's going to get famous. He knows he's going to have all the drugs he wants. He knows, I don't know, he's going to be successful. He knows people are working with him and he trusts them. He knows that he cannot have complete 100% vision of the matter because he's too involved in what he does. Also, he knows he's an artist. So he wakes up in the morning and he has the brightest idea to put in music. This is something nobody in the label knows how to do. Nobody. He wakes up, he has the right idea, takes his guitar, writes it down, smokes a cigarette, all great. You know, he has this kind of voice probably. And the record is, the spark is there. You know, process initiated. Things are going to start. Then there's the team that makes sure that professionally things work. But he he doesn't know about recording. He doesn't know about mixing. He doesn't, I can't say that. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Or she doesn't care. She has the timbre. She has the tone of voice. She has, she has the vibe. She has the ideas. That's all that matters. You know, when it starts, it's there. So he puts people there. There's people who believe in her, like the producers. She has no money. Why would... He or she have money. They're artists, right? They are ethereal people, but they have the fame. Everybody recognizes her in, you know, in the crowd. Fine. But they have people who invest money to make a product. Their product's going to sell. People are happy. There's work involved. There's a workflow with money, stability. People can buy a car. Maybe my kids can grow up and go to school. Maybe I have social security. It's awesome. In the indie department, there's nobody. There's no people to talk to, oftentimes. That's very sad. That is very sad. It's sad to have lots of people around you who are toxic, but it's also very sad to be alone. And you have your ideas as an artist, all that stuff, and you get, for a reason or another, forced into going into creating your own stuff. Then there it happens. You're recording, you're mixing, you're mastering, you're trying to do 
piano and vocals and also you have to do your own promo your own instagram social network where do i print my record what kind of shirt should i wear is these jeans okay for late night cocktail party with label guys or whatever lots of things to think about and no real help no real teamwork tunnel vision which is sort of a military term that it's when you get concentrated on something you look at something so intensively that you lose sight of what's peripheral to you even if you can technically see it you you don't look at that so you're so concentrated on looking at one aspect that you lose track of everything that's around you that's tunnel vision when your you know eyesight goes into this sort of tunnel and you can't see around even if it's there it's so close but you can't see it so the involvement of an artist in a project should be sometimes because of the artistic and flamboyant and super pyrotechnic aspect of being an artist, which is this uncontainable work of art of nature, this wild horse that does beautiful things. He is or she is the least, you know, inclined person to do work boring related stuff but since something that comes out as a record is a work of artistry plus ideas on how to make something get out you know so boring stuff plus artistic stuff well if you don't have the boring stuff down it's gonna be bad it's gonna be really bad nothing's gonna come out so first point that i want to make it's technical uh, the fact that you are indie and self-producing yourself puts yourself under a lot of stress. So I'm aware of that as a sound engineer when people come in or as a keyboards player, when people come in and say, ah, this song maybe doesn't work. Could you, could you write a piano part? Could you check the harmony? Do you think the second chorus is too short? Do you think I should erase the fifth verse? All that stuff. So, or as a sound engineer, when they bring a record and they say, you know, we have to mix it because I, you know, I don't, I don't like how it sounds. I've tried, but it doesn't sound very good. So you have a chance. You're reaching out to somebody else. So don't reach out to somebody else if you don't trust him or her. If, if you go there and you pay money, especially if you come to a studio like mine, you know, it, there's going to be money involved. And, it, you know, I don't want to spit on anybody's money, but it's the times are not easy for anyone. So, you know, paying a couple thousand to five thousand euros for a record, that's it's expensive. Can't get, I mean, I, I, I value the money you're giving me. So, and there's people getting 50 times more than I get let's not get there it's depressing so you know that's how it is right so this is very very challenging you're opening up to somebody and you have to trust him L unfortunately trust is something that some people whenever their balance is thrown off is very hard to just let out and enjoy that's the problem. I don't want to say that when I was 18 years old, I was completely happy and completely balanced in my life. But when I would do music, and that's probably the reason why I still do it to, with a moderate passion, it's that I was so okay in doing it and somebody else would touch it and make it better 
I was okay. I trusted the guy, you know. There was no reason. I just wanted my record out so I could work on something else. But sometimes you get so attached on your stuff and you have nobody else in the team that can counterbalance that. So the good side of a team is that if the team is good, you have leverage, you have people that you can talk to, you have ideas, you have a balance, you have sometimes to listen to the other guy to make something work out. Now, money, which is a very bad thing in relationships sometimes, can be a very, very good thing in team, good teamwork. Because when the guy puts 50% of the production with you, he can say pretty much a lot of stuff, can say half of what you say. So if you don't like two choruses, but the guy does, maybe you can listen to him a couple times more because he's paying half of your record or maybe he's paying, you know, all of your record production. So it's it can help. It can help. For as bad as money can be, it can help. It just creates sort of a balancing factor. It creates a parameter that you're going to use to kind of, you know, hear out people. But going on, again, letting go and trusting professionals or somebody else and letting your artist self stop is very hard. This I see in lots of artists or people that want to get there because there's another type of person that we haven't talked about. It's the person that thinks he's an artist, but he's just a mess. I'm saying some artists are wild horses. I don't mean they are a complete complete wreck when these people become complete wreck usually there's no label involved usually production becomes very hard and you don't get records down so even if you have people that look or sound or you know their wikipedia page says that they're very very weird and eclectic and and eccentric whatever the term might be they're never a complete wreck down if they are you know, after a couple records or productions, nobody wants to work with them because they're too reckless. They're wild. They're unpredictable, all that stuff. And there's stories in Hollywood for weeks and months to tell, right? Even on the internet. Some people are a complete mess from the start, but I, they definitely like the stage, success or money or be accepted by somebody. In a, You know, to cut it short, they get into the songwriting or the stage or the music production as a way to heal themselves, which is perfectly understandable. Some people eat only air. Some other people can get into music production. It's, it's okay. It's, you know, it's, it's your liberty. The problem is you can see that the, there is a weird contrast with some of the individuals. Some artists come, and that may be you I'm talking about, that may be a friend you know, or as a sound engineer, you might know these people. They come in and they might be the people that talk about tolerance, that talk about balance and peace and love and being calm and getting in tune with the world. Yet, when they have to open up and accept the stuff you do to their music or or, or to their you know, work, they become in a way very aggressive and they start hijacking the process with their lack of knowledge of how things should be. And they, you hear it, they're not really hearing or listening to you. I had, you know, luckily I had the unfortunate event of this happening to me probably twice. I wouldn't say I had this frequently, 
but I would say it's because I can smell that stuff, probably. I had to learn to smell that stuff from far away. And that I did as a keyboards player and as a pianist. When people would ask me, would you want to get into my project? Sometimes it would be just endless Friday nights composing and songs going nowhere. That was unproductive. Now, those people, some of those people say, oh, the label people are so on the business and on the money. They all care about the money. I care about art. And this is why this project is never going to be finished because we're going to spend so much time. The sound in my head is impossible to get, but I will try a thousand sound engineers. I won't pay them because I don't have money, but I will you know, try. That's, uh, that's bitter to say, but it happens. There's people like that, that you have to fly away from, like run. You know, these people have an evident clear contrast and i know some of them i haven't worked with them but i know them as a friend they have this concept about peace yoga vegan meditation love calm get in tune with the world but they're so aggressive when it comes down to projects and music of theirs and their stuff and they're impossible to work with and they are not successful both in the linkedin term like, you know, super cliche, or in the, like, friendship kind of term. They are really poisonous some way, in, in some way, in, you know, oftentimes, and they get really, really challenging to, to, to be around with. So they become easily constrained in working on their stuff with other people. They really, in some way, they don't, they don't want people to work on their stuff, and they continue this loop of violence that they don't put violence that they don't put on the people it's violence that they put on their own music because when the work is done and i've heard stuff done by colleagues of mine that sounds great yet i have these people coming here and saying like would you mix that sometimes i said i can't mix it i heard the mix you want me to fix to, and redo i don't think there's anything to fix i like what what he has done or she has done so the fact that you don't like a mix that i actually like and there's things that i would learn from that, that i really ideas that i respect and he gave you a sound and that sound i kind of hear to be appropriate for you or at least to be evaluated in some way i don't think at that point i am the right person to ask to mix the, your song again because I'm probably more compatible with the ideas and of people that you didn't like the mix of. So it's not appropriate. Um, other people get in studios. They think they can do it in one, two rounds. That will keep the music and the payments and, you know, fast delivery, cheap, inexpensive production. Everybody's happy. But I'm telling you, stuff takes time. You took your time to write your songs, I hope, you know, or to get it fixed or to arrange it properly, to sing it right, to give you the... You have to give the engineers the time to work with you. They might be very fast by themselves, but they can't do a mix by themselves. I can't do your mix all by myself. I, I start it up, I get it to 90%, but then I need your feedback. And when I get your feedback, I need you to listen to that stuff from... A normal kind of standpoint just just be free doesn't does it does it matter that you know it's exactly or different or whatever from the previous mix that you've done or there's a sound that has doesn't have enough delay and stuff look look 
at your songs from a little bit of distance. Know that the, if you're an indie artist, you're completely alone. You haven't worked with other people if you're like truly 100% indie. Or even if you have a small team of what you think is a constructive duo, there might be some hijacking. You're hiring somebody else who's completely stone cold. It's beautiful. No matter how objective that might be or cold or scary that might be, the guy is completely out of your artistic life. He's a pro. He, in the sense, not that he's great, in pro in the sense that he does it as a day job. And that maybe boring aspect of him doing it as a daily job allows him to be cold good. I always say, would you rather have your son or daughter be, you know, under surgery from a guy who really, 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 really cares about her or him? And he calls you every day and says, I've been studying so much. I've been on YouTube all day long. I think I know everything about what needs to be done tomorrow. I care so much about your daughter. You wouldn't want that guy to do it. Absolutely not. You want somebody that says like, all right, done. Forget it. You know, I don't want to talk to you. Bye. You know, you're boring. He might be like atrocious, but the guy knows his stuff. He doesn't care. He's cold. He's balanced. He's doing it from a standpoint that will not hurt your daughter or your, your son. He's just doing what's required by medicine and science and biology and surgery and medical science to get the problem fixed. That's all you need to care. Your song's still going to be your son or daughter. It's never going to change that. You can talk with him. You can have fun just as much as you can listen to your record once it's done. It's still your song. doesn't change everything, anything, right? So when I talk to artists that way, it's clear that these people, oftentimes, you can't just fix in one week. But that's the problem that you might have or that people in your studio might have, people in my studio head or people that wanted to get in my studio head, you know? It could be that they are, they talk about all that peace, all the balance, but that's a way for them to demonstrate, to actually show to the world that they are in trouble and they, they will probably with good help fix that. And I'm going to just go to that point. Like how, how can things be fixed in a way, you know, from, not from a yoga standpoint, from a sound engineer standpoint, these people have unresolved issues. Okay. So, well, they're artists. So, I mean, and then who doesn't have unresolved issues? It's a matter of balance, which is the hardest thing. So at that point, since they're artists and we understand them and they understand each other and they say, well, I have unresolved issues. I'm an artist. I'm a wild horse. Well, that's perfect. Then as a wild horse, you have to get help from professionals for all the tasks that a wild horse would never, ever do, ever they, the wild horse would find that crap boring, super boring, unnecessary. He doesn't want to know. He wants to have a beer and, you know, have girls or boys or whatever and just have fun, right? And then write the next song and then rock the stage hard with his band, hopefully, you know, and, and respect the band and all that stuff. But be, be there, you know, and do his stuff or her stuff. So accept that. You know, you can't say I'm an artist wild horse and yet today you're you know the producer kind of role and you're you're into your producer kind of role. get a producer get money from him or her then let's talk about when he tells you you're terrible and your music sucks you know 
It, sometimes that happens, but that's a problem I can't talk about. That's for somebody else. But that might be that you don't get money because people don't like your music. And you, you're balanced, you know, you eat right. So you have to understand some people might say that. Not necessarily to- toxic. They just, they might give you a, a hint. Like, I don't like what you do. But you're a wild horse. You, you know, think of something. But now from the sound engineer standpoint, this doesn't mean that we have every excuse or that sound engineers or people or professionals, let's say in general, that go around these artists have the right to, you know, bash and destroy or just say you're crazy, go away and stuff. The first thing I would say is, as I said, you can't fix somebody over a day and sometimes not even over years. It's very hard. When somebody locks himself or herself up in himself or herself, it's going to be very, very hard to get into him or her. So, but one thing I would say is, the understanding of these, both from an artist standpoint, I don't mean to say that I'm giving this truth away, but that's that's my opinion. Just understanding how this cycle works makes it better for an artist and from a producer professional that works with the artist himself. So these label, major labels, commercial stuff doesn't have that problem because as we said, the hive is solid tight. When it's not tight, it gets fixed. Somebody else gets fired. Somebody else get, gets hired. Done. And they keep going. They might be boring. They might be dehydrated of art, but they're there. In the indie world, when these people come, it's going to be very hard to say to an artist, you know, you can't be fixed. Go away, you know. And there's also work to be done. What if What if the mix, how, how can you know the guy is really toxic or not? So... You can't know. Obviously, you can't know. You can guess a little bit. Some people are in between, so you have to get the best side of them out, and that's a way to help them. What I would recommend is never... This I got into this talk with my studio manager, with other friends. I always say, do not sugarcoat, do not sweet talk these guys. I had emails recently sent by my beloved studio manager. Uh, Marcus is doing a great job here, but we get into this argument a lot. Hi, Marcus. And uh, we, we say, he listens to stuff sometimes, right? So he writes like, oh, the record is great. Uh, he, the, you know, it's going to sound amazing. You're going to love it. Or it's, it's, it's great. Oh, I didn't know this was your first record. Wow. I've heard debut records and they weren't that good. I'm sure. Blah, blah, blah. I always say, please do not do that ever. I don't want you to, I understand it's a marketing standpoint. You think you're making it so that like the people would be more inclined to do a, the work at the studio and stuff. But please, I don't want you to do that. Since you work for me, you have to, you know, abide by the rule. Don't do that. But I'm going to explain to you why. Don't do that because you're putting false uh, illusion. You're, you're helping the delusion of the artist. Those people do not need from us the oh this is so awesome attitude right away also because and this gets into the projects that you know i work sometimes there are inherent inherent faults to the production they have done for example the vocals don't sound right the vocals sound wrong they've been recorded too cheaply they have been recorded with the wrong microphone technique the guy doesn't have a microphone technique but you can't tell him he sucks Uh, nobody told him so far but we are going to tell him that his microphone or whatever he used we're going to talk about that but we're going to start from this point that 
the vocal tracks suck, I would advise for you to redo them. Now, we might say they're really, really, really not good, or they're average, or everybody else is better than your tracks. There's different ways to put it. That I understand. It's called diplomacy. But don't start to sugarcoat stuff. And if you think you're average and you're not sugarcoating, just drop drop it down 10 steps. Because the ego of an artist must not be fed, by all means. Wild horses don't have issues with their you know, getting overhyped with themselves. They really love what they do. Even if they come to the studio or to a student, they say, I realize this sucks. It's a defensive mechanism. They really enjoy listening to their own idea of the product being made. That's my experience. So you might have a different opinion. That's my experience. They love to feel the potential of the record of something that features them as the star. Even if it's completely self-produced, if it sucks, if it's done on a music cassette, if the ideas are boring, they like to think the delusion has already kicked in. And that's not our fault. That's Hollywood. That's show business. That's social networks. That's all that stuff. So when you have a person like that in front of you, you can't feed that wild horse that way. You're going to create a bomb. And it's going to be very painful for that person when he or she suffers from the byproduct of that overconfidence. So just get them the facts. The drums are great. The bass are great. But look, for example, there's way too many tracks, way too many tracks. You're using track numbers to fix the problem that you don't know how to arrange. Or you're using too many tracks because you don't know how to mix or you use too many effects on your vocals because you don't like how your vocals sound, or you realize you're not in tune. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the choice of sounds. Let's talk about the fact that you need to give people and listeners a sound. And if they don't hear a sound and ideas and the sharp strokes of a proposition in your music, the message will be you know, dull. And you don't want songs to be dull. You want songs to reach the audience and, you know, in those four minutes, get the message, right? So how do you do that? It's very hard. Uh, you do that if you know how to shape the mix, for example, into something else, or you know that if you re-record the vocals. Let's talk about the budgets. Do you have that budget in mind? No. I, the artist might say, I don't have any money to re-record the vocals. Well, then we have to proceed in a way, but we put down on the table that the vocals are bad, are really bad. You can't be... Barbara Streisand with vocals that are recorded very poorly. Even if you're great at singing, the vocals technique and the recording technique is going to play a role if you want to be there. And surprise, surprise, most of these people who are saying that they suck and blah, 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 they really think they can get on stage. I mean, you've seen most of the realities shows and talent shows, right? Reality shows and talent shows, they might be fake or whatever, but you know those people are out there, right? They jump on stage, they think they really can do a lot of stuff. From an artist, and like they had that call, they wake up and they, the light was shining on their bed, they had this mission. Now, so give them the facts, you're the professional, you're not the artist, you don't need ideas or that stuff. You can, you can get into a little bit of a artistic shaping, but you don't need to, the guy already has the songs down. So just talk facts. And that's why I don't want to sugarcoat people. So start talking about facts, get the budgets there and start defining a zero VU, like a sort of like a threshold where if we do this with this money, it's going to sound 
good. It's going to sound good. It's going to have its own shape. It's going to be some compromises. For example, the vocal is going to have that effect because that effect is going to cover the terrible phase issues that you have around 500 hertz because you recorded that in your bathroom and there's lots of reflections from a microphone glass whatever that you can't hear because you have in-ear headphones and that stuff and i'm blah 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 on all that stuff so we use that to compromise because you don't want to re-record the vocals and that's going to give it a good sound it's a good compromise it's a nice approach it blends with the music but it might not be exactly what you were thinking when you secretly fell in love with the idea that you could become Barbara Streisand tomorrow or in a year or so or whatever. Uh, that's not going to happen because of this, that sound. It's not going to happen for a lot of aspects, but it's an issue you have to resolve step by step. And it, there's no trigger that makes you instant Barbara Streisand or, or whatever, Celine Dion or whoever you want to be, Michael Jackson, Madonna, whoever, right? So talk. Talk with the artists and you artists, please listen. If you're paying X amount of money to a studio, and uh, please, please, I, that's what that's what this friend of mine in, who now lives in South Carolina told me. Like he got fed up of people telling him that they had gone to another studio from a friend of theirs or to a guy that has a small hi-fi, but it's, who's really good. And he bothered his friend or her friend to listen to stuff in that car, in that home, in that studio, in that hi-fi system so that he could understand how things sound so that he could come to the studio and have notes. There's nothing wrong with listening to your stuff at home when, you know, sound engineers send you things. That's how it's supposed to be. You have to get a feel for that. But there's you can't call every friend of yours with every hi-fi doesn't that sound a little bit too obsessive to you don't you think that the people getting that call have lives or ideas or things and you're calling them to be able to listen to music you've mixed with a studio you paid to get an idea of how things it's a little bit too much just relax you listen to your stuff with your typical system and it's going to sound different. Obviously, it's going to sound different. Everything sounds different. I, we have different pairs of speakers here. Whenever I switch, that sounds different, right? But does it sound different? It sounds different, but is it different? Uh, it's that song. Can you hear the bass? Yeah, you can hear the bass. Can you hear that's too much stuff going around? Can you hear the harmonies wrong? Yes, you can hear it on three different pair of speakers pretty clearly. And... Uh, can you hear it on headphones? Yeah. Can you hear that there's like 12 elements that you want the listener to listen to, but that's not going to be possible because people like to concentrate on one element and then feel a sort of hierarchy or, you know, sort of like a step-by-step kind of role. There's a main character. There's a side character. There's a best female character. There's a sidekick. There's a reason why movies don't have 300,000 main characters. doesn't make a sense. There's a starring that guy right or those two three people but after that it's going to be really hard even in a tv series you can name people after a while it's not going to throwing you one guy after the other at every you know tv series unless it's a very weird tv series but they're not certainly talking all of them 12 at the same time all the time the camera is going to concentrate on one guy he's going to talk one girl she's going to talk and all that right isn't that like how it happens. Don't you realize, for example, that that music doesn't have that? That's talking from a recent perspective of a project I've worked with. 
why did, did that happen? Because you did it yourself and you don't know that stuff. It's perfectly okay. Like, I don't know how to wake up in the morning and, you know, figure out what songs to write. So, 51 minutes. You can tell this topic, you know, I love. But this friend of mine said, I got fed up. I have a career. I worked with people that, you know, are recognized. I know this stuff. And I hated it when people started adopting or putting, like, you know, not being sure about the guy who had hired, they had hired, which was this friend of mine. And it was like, it's too much BS. I hate it. People don't have enough trust. And the way music production is done today, the means are in everybody's laptop, in everybody's computer. And it certainly feeds the troll. It certainly creates the idea of, I can do that because it's going to be that. And then it creates the frustration because that's not the process through which you do an amazing record. It, it's one of the processes, but it needs a lot of things that no computer can replace, no plugin can replace. It's teamwork, it's professionalism, it's being able to get to the studio on time, no matter how public transportation can be wild that day, on time, and respecting other people's work. And as a sound engineer, don't just think that you're saying everything is awesome and people will come to your studio. I'm telling you it's not going to happen, which is the regret that this friend of mine now has. Like he said, if I had told people in their face, bye-bye, I'm not going to work on your stuff because I think it sucks or I really don't like it. It's done bad to a point where nothing can save it. Now I would probably be still maybe in South Carolina, but having, you know, more clientele, still working with that. And now he said, I'm completely fed up. I want to do something different. And I realized I screwed up, Alberto, because that's the approach I had. And that's how we got into this talk. And it's a little bit sad because, I mean, not sad. He's doing perfectly fine. He's enjoying his life probably more than I am or at the same level. You know, he's really non-stressed. Awesome for him. I love him. But... It's a shame that he had to go through that and that people probably weren't helped by his professionalism because of that. So it's really, really, really tough as a topic. But don't be an island and know that when you are meeting somebody and there's teamwork and there's somebody that asks for your service or you go and ask somebody else service, all you have to do is what you always do, which I hope you do when you listen to music. You listen. It's very easy. Some people, unfortunately, are unable to do so, even if they say, oh, I listen to music all day. But what you do is just listen. And this comes from a person who has talked for 54 minutes straight, yet he's suggesting you to listen because that's probably the best lesson he learned when he was really young. And that's for another story. So now with this soothing tone of voice, I hope that everybody has a good time and see you in the next episode. Keep it fun. Explore. Keep it fun. Bye. Ciao, guys.